Welcome to the SB Live California podcast. I'm your host, Connor Morissette. Join once again with my co-host, Lance Smith, another California high school writer with us at SB Live. So, Lance, you released your All-State girls basketball team this week. I released my boys All-State basketball team a couple days before that. And today, in this episode, it's going to be the final high school basketball episode of the season. And what we're going to do is just rationalize our picks, talk about the All-State teams, how we came to determine who made it, who didn't, how we determined player of the year, all that great stuff. So I'm excited because, like you always do with something like this, we've had a couple people like, hey, what you know, what about this, what about this? We're going to try to answer as much as that as we can on this show. So I'm looking forward to that. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm good. And the last few, the last few weeks or the last month or so of basketball season is always such a grind, but it's only been a couple of weeks and I already miss it so much, so... Uh, I'm good, and I'm glad we get to talk hoops one more time uh, before fall or so. Yeah, yeah, me too. So first, I think the best place to start is to help people understand our process for selecting the All-State teams, and we have a little bit of a different process, I, I think it's safe to say. So I'll just start with what I do, and then you can get into what you do and how you determine your team. So for me, it's very, very exclusive because I think it's really important for these lists to matter. So I do player of the year, and then I do three teams of five, only five, first team, five second team, five on a third team. And how I rank how people deserve to make it, or, or I guess my, my recipe, it's the first thing I value, winning the most, and then I value how important you were to your team, the second most, and then skill level, the third most. Those are the three most important tenants for me. And uh, there's a couple other things that go into it. If, if it's a tiebreaker or something, which I can talk about in a little bit, but the big three winning first and foremost, importance to your team and skill level. And I try to make real teams as well. So there's sometimes you'll have four guards and a forward, but I really try hard to get the three guards and two forwards or two guards and three forwards or 2-2 two, two in a center, yeah, I try to make it like a real basketball team. So just off the top, I wanted to start by just informing everyone how I go about doing this process. What does your process look like, Lance? Well, for me, I honor and respect the fact that you do three teams of five. Uh, we know I can be a little bit indecisive, <laughs> uh, if not forced to be decisive. So uh, the, the fact that you get it down to one MVP and, and 15 kids is tremendous. Um, for me, I, let's see, so I did 10 uh, first team members, seven second team members, and seven third team members. And for me, and, and even then, there were so many kids who I struggled so, mit, so much with, and I'm sure it was the same for you. Uh, unfortunately, we have all section teams, all area teams. Uh, this year, I'm introducing all NorCal and all SoCal teams uh, to give those kids uh, shouts out. But for me, I, I, I do like seeing where I think there are natural cutoffs. Um, and uh, just so that, uh, well, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what it's really about for me. But I kind, I kind of wanted to target around 25 kids. Um, I, and yeah, so the process, I don't know if I would word it the exact same way, but it's pretty similar to yours. It's who won the most, who did the most individually. And it's kind of a combination or a mesh of those couple things. Uh, with statistics definitely be the, being the driver uh, of, of how uh, I, I value one's individual contributions uh, to what they did or what their team did. Um, but stats definitely aren't everything. Uh, when, when possible, I use the eye test uh, to see 
to, to see what things go in between the lines. And often you look at the best teams in the state or in the country, uh, so often their best players might be averaging uh, 15 and 5. Uh, you know, 14, four assists and six rebounds a game. And those kids are often MVP candidates if they're still carrying a heavy load uh, for a, an elite team. And I also think in basketball, probably more than any other sport or most other sports, uh, one, individual, individual defensive contribution is so hard to quantify. Um, I don't really care. It, there, there's only so much you can put into someone averaging you know, four and a half assists a game versus an assist or four and a half steals a game versus someone averaging one steal game and playing incredible help defense. So those that, defense is a big part of what goes into kind of like uh, the between the lines stuff, the eye test stuff. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I want to see who won the most, who contributed to it the most, just like you. Uh, in, in addition to just looking at kids averages, I think it's really important to see who did what in what game. Uh, because you have kids who might play in easy league, uh, but they're in a high division in their section. And in those games, maybe they average 35 against kids who barely play basketball. Uh, or maybe their team blows everyone out by 60 and they only average eight points a game because, you know, they're on the bench before the first quarter's over. Uh, so, so those are things I look at. Uh, who stepped up in the playoff games? For teams that have marquee, for teams that don't have a ton of marquee matchups throughout the year, uh, who stepped up when they did have the big games uh, in the regular season against against top flight competition, and when you have just so many different talent levels throughout the state, throughout any given section, uh, it, it, it would be great if it was easier to statistically quantify things, but. Uh, sometimes we have to dive into those nuances, and that's often where you get, you know, complaints and understandable complaints like, oh, this kid was averaging the same numbers on a slightly better team. Why did you choose th that kid? And sometimes, uh, whether it's all county or all state, those are some of the, the little tweaks and nuances that go into it uh, outside of just the production. Um, but that's pretty much it for me. Um, I, I just... Uh, try to try to simplify it to winning and individual impact on winning as much as possible. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like the way you kind of broke it down and condensed it into a few easy steps. You hit on a ton of great stuff there, Lance. And I, I think first the eye test is so important because when you're covering high school basketball, yeah, we can ask coaches for the stats, but the bare minimum, we're getting points, rebounds, assists, steals, maybe some percentages if we're lucky. But this isn't college hoops. This isn't the NBA. We're not getting defensive analytics. We're, we're None of that. And you hear so much with the NBA season winding down, who's going to win MVP? If you look at the analytics, it's, it's Jokic. If you think who's the best player in the league, it's maybe Giannis. And then Embiid, who, who's the most important to their team, it's probably him. So there's so much that goes into those. And then for us, I think the eye test becomes so much more important because we don't have access to all those stats. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things about high school sports. It's really hard sometimes to determine who gets these spots because we just don't have a lot of information. And so the eye test becomes that much more important. So I think you're absolutely right. And then what you said about who's playing who, if it's if you're in an easy league, that kind of gets held against you, but it's not your fault. So a ton of great stuff. Uh, agree with with everything you said. I thought that was really well put. So let's start with our players of the year first and foremost. So I think 
on the boys' side this year and last year, it was really relatively easy to pick the player of the year. So Donovan Dent was mine, and you look at the LA Times, you look at Frank Burleson, you, you look at Max Preps, everyone picked Donovan Dent, and it was pretty easy just because he, he so clearly deserved it o over everyone else, even though Gatorade, I guess, went with Jared McCain, his, his teammate, as their state player of the year. But I think for people who are here covering... 24-7 uh, all year long, Dent was the obvious guy. I think last year that was the case with Amari Bailey, even though Sierra Canyon didn't win uh, a section or a regional championship. It, it was Bailey just because he was head and shoulders above everyone else from a skill level perspective that his talent a year ago, and he had a solid year this year, but was injured a lot, so that was held against him. Uh, uh, but his talent was just so much better than everyone else, so it was pretty clear he was the player of the year. I think the last time on the boys' side there's been a real argument about player of the year was two years ago when it was between two Sierra Canyon teammates, B.J. Boston and Zaire Williams. Williams had to sit out half the year, so I don't want to say I held that against him, but I picked Boston because even though Williams hit that key shot against Etiwanda to, to win the game, Boston had a key shot of his own a couple seconds prior, and he played the whole year. I, I thought those guys were neck and neck, but Boston playing the whole year probably elevated him. So with all that being said, Dent was an easy decision. Lance, on the girls' side, you went with Sierra Canyon's Juju Watkins, and I read your rationale for it. it. It was sort of a close race, but then when the dust settled, I think is what you said, she was a no-brainer. Just explain why she elevated from the field and, and why Juju became a, a no-brainer when it was so close a little bit earlier in the year. Well, last season we had a classic two-dog race, neck and neck all year uh, between Jada Curry and Brooke Dimitri, who ended up being you know, on the two best teams in the state, uh, won one section, and then the other Centennial avenged the section loss uh, to win regionals. Uh, and their, their two cases were so different, but they were so similarly crucial. And it was just all year, or, or at least from a third of the season on, it was just clear that unless something drastic changed, that's how it was going to be. <clears throat> this year, there weren't, it, it's just hard to say that anyone really cemented themselves that early on. Uh, with Etiwanda, obviously, they were so much better than everyone else as a team early on. And Kennedy Smith is certainly one of the best candidates there. But one thing I can say for Juju and, and some other players I considered is that uh, if, you take, if you take Kennedy Smith off Etiwanda and they're otherwise 100% healthy, they are still at least the top four Southern section team, still a top 50 national team. And uh, you can't say that for a lot of people. Uh, sometimes that doesn't mean that's the definitive argument, but that was kind of how I looked at it with Kennedy. Like uh, she, she would have to put up huge numbers and Etiwanda would have to finish on top, uh, which of course almost happened. Uh, El Ladeen was another one who was up there the whole season, uh, putting up the crazy numbers, 24 points, 15 rebounds, five assists a game, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and uh, Brea Cunningham, with La Jolla Country Day being a national top 10 team and then them pretty obviously all year being on a pace to win uh, the San Diego section with her averaging close to a 2010. Uh, the, the, those were kind of the people who, who cemented themselves as candidates early on. Uh, in addition to Gabriela Jaquez, who I, I think I was a little bit higher on her case uh, than most people. Uh, for instance, I saw Cal High Sports, unless I'm mistaken, they tweeted out that their finalists were um, uh, the people I just named, and I think Talana Lafolo of Carondelet, who's another worthy candidate, and uh, I don't believe they mentioned Haquez, 
uh, and, and they do such a great job. I value their opinion so much. I, I had Haquez as maybe the favorite for much of the year uh, because she was averaging 35 points and 14 rebounds a game. Not 35 points, but sorry. Oh, over thir- Yeah, no, 35 points a game. Sorry, sometimes some of these numbers, you just have to stop and be like, <laughs> yeah. no, that can't be right. Wait, no, that's totally right. And, and for Juju, there was so much pressure on her having had the numbers all year, uh, but but needing to be, being on such a good stacked team that she needed to win uh, the championship for me uh, to to win it all. So when Gatorade announced her uh, with one or two or three games left in the season when they had already lost in the Southern Section Championship, I was like, "That's crazy! How are you guys already awarding someone?" And, and maybe they were on a deadline to uh, you know just do it, uh, and they couldn't wait, but. Uh, to me, the reason it came down to the end so much is because there just there just wasn't any one person uh, who who was on the best team with the best numbers right away, uh, uh, without with the exception of you know Juju having the potential if she elevated Sierra Canyon uh, to be the best numbers on the best team. And one of one of the things that counted against her in the race for me is that. Some of her teammates did take hits. Uh, you know, McKinley Randolph was averaging 23 and a half points a game last year. This year she averaged 25 or 15. And I think when when you have a transfer go to a school with so much talent already, uh, it, it kind of, and you're not, and you are definitely taking some touches and shots away from your teammates. I think that definitely puts you on a sort of pedestal of pressure that other people aren't on. So that's why for me, Juju, she needed to win one of the chips. She couldn't have, for instance, you know, uh, you talk about Amari Bailey last season coming in second, not quite winning a championship, but he was just head and shoulders above above of everybody. I needed, I, I needed Juju. Like she couldn't have that type of situation for me. Like it was championship or bust for her. Uh, she didn't get it when she in in the Southern Section game and. When you're looking at the only teams above them, Etiwanda and La Jolla Country Day, who they lost to, uh, the bar is perfection. So that's why, uh, to me, it went the whole year. It, there weren't really front runners like like of that group. No one really established themselves as overwhelming front runners, and it wasn't Juju until uh, Sierra Canyon had that state chip. But once they had that state chip, best you have the numbers, you have the best player on the team or best team, you have the eye test, you have everything. So that's why it came down to the very end, and that's why it was so obvious when the dust settled. A few other things on the boys' side with Donovan Dent. He was the most consistent player for Corona Centennial. Remember at the Classic at Damien, Corona Centennial beat everyone, but it was Dent who had good game after good game after good game. He scored 30 points in November in a win against Notre Dame. So sometimes his teammates kind of went up and down, but the only bad game he had... You mentioned how Juju had one bad game against La Jolla Country Day. The one bad game Donovan had was in their loss to Duncanville. And I think you could say, and head coach Josh Giles would say, maybe not other players had other bad games, but there were other times where some of the top guys on that Centennial team weren't up to their usual level, where with Dent that only happened one time. So he he was awesome. And again, Jared McCain led them in scoring, but Dent 
when the money was on the table in that state championship, I, I've said this a million times, he was the one who came out and took it, and, and he won them that game down the stretch. McCain hit the hit a big shot as well, but then I thought did a little bit more in the final two minutes of his state championship. He was so great the whole year. Um, so a, a few other reasons why, why he stood above the rest. But Lance, let's get into our toughest omissions now, because even though you have a few more players than I do, it's still really challenging cutting these lists down, no matter how many players are selected. I have two toughest omissions, then I have a few others I'd like to talk about. Maybe we can go one by one. Uh, I don't know the best way to do this, but uh, if you can quantify it, do you have an, a top toughest <laughs> omission? Is there one player who you look at and say, oh, this was really hard, uh, or is it a bunch of people? It is a bunch. I could run through them quickly, but if I'm if I'm forcing myself to pick the the one the, the two that come to mind the the first are Mary Carter of Antelope, uh, who I certainly believe is a top twenty five all around player in the state with room to spare, and uh, she came so close to leading her team uh, in the Sac Joaquin section to championships uh, division two for both regionals and uh, section. Uh, they came up just a bit short, but she was averaging something along the lines of 26 points, 13 rebounds, four assists, and uh, close to five blocks a game. Uh, the na national recruit just doing everything. And uh, a couple of the players I picked just over her uh, beat her out in those championship games, even though they had pretty similar uh, contributions. Like it wasn't like, oh, she got outplayed by uh, Ray Young of Laguna Creek in the section game, or she didn't get outplayed by Meadow Roland uh, of San Joaquin Memorial in the regional game, uh, but they just didn't, they just didn't get the hardware. So that was a tough one. Uh, and then I had a, I, I have a few kids where they did win hardware and I still just couldn't find a spot for them. And probably the toughest one of those is, is uh, Jada Williams of La Jolla Country Day. Uh, you look at her numbers, she's averaging 11 points, four assists, uh, five rebounds, a couple steals a game, not crazy efficient from the field. Uh, you, you say, oh, do, these aren't quite the numbers of one of the very best players in the state. Uh, but she was a driving engine of one of the very best teams in the state. Top three team in the state all season long, San Diego section champion in the open division and a top 10 team in the country. Uh, teams schemed her to get the ball, e even with Brea Cunningham blooming down low. Teams schemed to get the ball out of her hands as far away from an offensive set as possible. I think she racked up tons of hockey assists, uh, that being she doesn't get the assist, uh, but she sets up the basket, uh, and it's just another pass or two. Um, I think if you count those, her impact on offense would immediately start translating to production. Um, not advocating for, oh, let's start including hockey assists, but you know what I mean. Um, so th those are a couple, and uh, if we have more time, there's a bunch of other kids I would want to give a shout. Uh, but those would be those would be two for the opposite reasons. Carter, because she was so dominant and just came so close to winning chips, but didn't, and, and Williams, because she didn't have big numbers, but she was central to, you know, incredible team. My toughest omission was R.J. Smith on Damian, and I don't mean this in any disrespect to Damien or, or to RJ. You know, he if there was a 16th or a 17th player, it, it would have been him. And, and the reason I left him off, there, there were a few. So I think I, I also value how you do against someone else who, who was on the team. So 
Lance, you were there. Damian plays Clovis North in the state championship, and sophomore Connor Amundsen scores 25 points for Clovis North. He's head and shoulders above anyone else on his team. It's just so clear that he is the only guy that Damian really needed to key in on, and he still goes for 25 points. I didn't think Damian played particularly well in that game. Amundsen led Clovis North to, I, I think, their absolute peak potential th this past season, and he led them on an epic, epic state playoff Division One ride where they just kept knocking off these teams that they probably weren't as good as on paper to get to the state championship. Whereas I think the Southern section, how the, the postseason works it, it sort of helped Damien in the sense that they went one and two in the open division Southern section playoffs, which dropped them in from the open division state playoffs to D1. I think Damien, the way they were set up this year with, with the talent that they had, probably should have been in the open division playoffs. So again, in the most respectful way possible, I thought the Spartans were kind of in a division where they shouldn't have been. They should have been a little bit higher. And I, I thought in the state championship game on paper, they should have had an easier time with Clovis North, and they didn't really play very well. Um, so I kind of hold that against them a little bit. There were some other games where I was at where uh, Damien didn't have as good of a performance as I would have expected, which hurt them a little bit. So the fact that Amundsen in that state championship I thought was the best player on the floor led them on that epic run. I had one spot for Amundsen or Smith, and I went with Amundsen. And going back to winning, importance to team, skill level, I think R.J. Smith, he pretty clearly has two out of the three with that. He won the D1 state championship over Amundsen and Clovis North. He's going to Colorado, probably, not probably, is, is the more skilled basketball player at the moment. Amundsen's a sophomore, I, I think. He has some great potential, but right now there's no denying R.J. Smith is a better skill player. But the most important thing with the Amundsen selection to me was the importance to his team. Amundsen was so important to his team, and so was R.J. Smith to Damian. But let's we're not let's not kid ourselves. If Smith is off of Damian, Damian's still a, a pretty good team. And I think if Amundsen's off of Clovis North, they stink. And we saw that at the Classic at Damian. Amundsen was out with COVID, as was his dad, the coach, which definitely has something to do with it. But they were not very good at the Classic at Damien. And he comes back, they get rolling. Um, so again, no disrespect to R.J. Smith, no disrespect to Damien. That's how I do it. And again, I want these lists to mean something, so you do have to make these tough omissions. I had to make a tough one in that instance. That is why I had a Munson over R.J. Smith. And you know my email, you know my social media. If anyone wants to respond to this, by all means, please, uh, let's hear it. But I, I hope in the, in the most respectful way I, I, I put that. I, I, it's high school sports. You don't want to disrespect anyone. But uh, those are my thoughts, and, and that's why I did that. So there you go. That's my little soliloquy, Lance. I don't know if you want to respond to that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I, I've been a fan of R.J. Smith's game for a while, and not only is he fun to watch, but he can be so dominant and electrifying. And he definitely had the potential to elevate Damien farther than they could have gone uh, or farther, th farther than they went. I thought they could have been the clear-cut third or four, uh, fourth best team uh, in the Southern section this season behind the obvious three. Has such a bright future. We both love his game, but uh, I, I like how you broke that down. And, and they certainly could have taken it up uh, even a notch higher. Thank you. A few other quick omissions, and then I'll let you get to yours, Lance. So... I had a tough time leaving Ben Schultzberg off from Notre Dame. If you watch Notre Dame this year, yes, they have a couple other good players, but Dusty Stromer and Schultzberg are the two top dogs for them. In the state playoffs, I think Schultzberg and Stromer scored all their 
points in the fourth quarter and a win against St. Anthony. That just kind of shows you how important those two guys were. Having Stromer over Schultzberg had everything to do with the fact that Stromer was named Mission League MVP and Schultzberg was a first-team selection. So when all the coaches in the league say, this kid is better than this kid, I'm going to listen to what those coaches have to say. So uh, Stromer was a second-team pick for me, and Schultzberg was left off. Both Schultzberg and R.J. Smith were named all Southern section picks by me, which they probably won't care about that at all, but at least they were honored because they clearly deserved it. Uh, so I wanted to touch on that. Victorious Miller from Korean Lutheran, I think it was sort of a, a Damien situation where I had higher expectations for them, and even though Miller played at a really high level this year, I, their lack of winning, I think, sort of left them off, and they played in an easy league, which which maybe hurt them. People will say they won the Tarkanian Classic, and, and they won the, the Classic at Damien, but they weren't in the upper divisions. When you have Coke Keat, James Agani, who's a seven-footer, Victorious Miller, like, that's a team that should be at the top division and everything, and I didn't really understand why they weren't playing in that top division and they were 0-3 in the Southern Section pool play, so I had Miller on my all-sophomore team, but I, I left him off the state team, and he's a kid who could go to the NBA, so, you know, that that had more to do with winning and not as much to do with skill level. He's clearly one of the most skilled kids. Uh, the last omission, so Aiden Burke was the West Catholic League Player of the Year for uh, Archbishop Mitty, but... In the Central Coast Section Open Division Championship game, Archbishop Reardon, a West Catholic League foe of, of, of Mitty, they won, and King Jasani Wilhite had a huge game in the Open Division Championship game. So even though he Burke was above him on the All-League list, I valued winning the championship a little bit more. So he made the All-State second team, and, and Burke just missed out. So those were the, the last guys I wanted to hit on. And then a couple of things with placement we can finish up with, Lance, but those were my other big omissions. Uh, feel free to give your shout-outs shout now as well. Yeah, time for tough omissions. Uh, Hannah Steins at Orangewood, easily a top-10 player in the state. Uh, just an unusual situation, transferring back to Troy, transferring back to Orangewood, not joining the team till after they started. Uh, ended up with 13 points and five assists a game, uh, but still led them into the open division with room to spare. She would have been a great pick. Uh, Michaela Jackson, similar case. Uh, good, not great numbers on a great team. Uh, Michaela Jackson, a Folsom, that is. They had a very uh, deep, well-rounded team, but she was the engine that made made them go. Uh, I mentioned Jada Williams of La Jolla Country Day. Taj Roberts of La Jolla Country Day had arguably better numbers than Jada Williams uh, and was also extremely vital to their success. Uh, let's see, Sabrina Ma, Naya Epps, Jordan Lee, Amaya Bonner, uh, those have all been some of the best players at the NorCal for a long time, and uh, all of them had cases for Ma and Lee. I would have needed to see St. Ignatius and St. Saint, Saint Mary's, respectively, win championships. I would have needed uh, Carondelet to be in the state finals for Naya Epps to get a shout, uh, Amaya Bonner, she had to carry a particularly heavy load at Bishop O'Dowd, uh, but they if they had come close to winning some championships, she could have gotten in there. Uh, very interesting one is Audrey Harris of Faith Christian uh, in, the same, in the Sac Joaquin section. 46 points a game to lead the country. <laughs> 15 rebounds a game, uh, filling up the rest of the stat sheet, uh, dropped 60 multiple times. Uh, team didn't win a whole lot. But I watched the I watched some film. Uh, it's not she was doing an incredible job. Like it's not just a case of of uh, bad numbers or great numbers on a bad 
underwhelming team relative to, you know, the other kids we were talking about. Um, and Jocelyn Medina, 39 points a game at uh, our, uh, Pierce in Arbuckle, similar case. Uh, just would have needed to see them win at a similar level or at a really high level. Same goes with Gabrielle Abigor putting up crazy crazy numbers at Berean Christian uh, and Ari Long of Valley View uh, being in, in the Southern Section Division One. Uh, those are all just, uh, that, that's a brutal place to be. But I, I, Ari Long has been a top eight or top five player in the state for two years now. Uh, that's a hill I'm willing to die on when it comes to dying on hills in high school sports podcasts. Uh, Emmy Stout of Maranatha Christian gets a shout. Uh, she's my only first team all San Diego section member, not in Division One or Division Two. Uh, and she led them on a division three run, putting up crazy numbers like 26 and 15 and five blocks or something uh, would have been another great pick. But uh, just the, the, the competition in division three of most sections, including the San Diego section, is just, it's just so hard to compare uh, to the to the other, uh, you know, most of the other players we talked about. Um, and uh, and uh, for viewpoint with them winning division one in the southern section, over Camarillo, that was so tremendous. Kayla Kashmeshian has been one of the best players uh, in SoCal for a couple years at least now. Uh, but Carly White, she was the star in that game, had career-high 37 points. Uh, they are one of the best dynamic duos in the state, uh, but it, it, they're both so good, and they both carry such a heavy load. Uh, it kind of would have had to be a one, of the, one or the other situation. Um, but again... Every single one of those kids, including uh, Mary Carter and Jada Williams, who we were talking about earlier, every one of them is going to get a lot of love from us in uh, other other teams, not all state, uh, but they're all going to be all everything else that's applicable to them and uh, a lot more awards to come. So, uh, yeah, say, uh, same thing. You got my email. It's Lance at scorebook5.com. <laughs> Uh, I finally reached the point where I actually like hearing from it instead of feeling bad uh, for leaving a kid. Now I'm like, oh, man, here's an opportunity to learn. So uh, I honestly really like when people reach out to me as long as they have stats. <laughs> Love it. A few other notes for me. So I selected Caleb LeCount as my city section player of the year and all state second team member over probably the second nominee from the city section if you will the the open division champion fairfax lions guard tyler bay who was a first team all city selection picked by me who missed out on the this all state team and for caleb it was a little bit of a connor munson situation where these two went head to head fairfax got the win but fairfax's team is way better than king drew's and caleb the stats are incredible 33 and a half points per game just clearly the better player, in my opinion. No disrespect to Tyler Bay, but what Caleb did this year w was incredible. And even though he didn't win, I, I just think that points uh, margin is, is so impressive. And he willed King Drew back into the city title game, which was, was really impressive. Uh, so I just wanted to hit on that for people who were wondering, why did you know t Tyler Bay should have been on here? Why did you have Caleb when Bay beat Caleb in the game, it all came down to importance uh, to the team and just the, the stats. 33.5 points per game speaks for itself. Okay, the last thing I wanted to finish with, Lance. So did you have anyone who you really struggled, you, you knew you wanted to put them on, but you didn't know what team to, to put them on? And I'll let you finish, but I just had that happen with me. So Devin Williams and Aaron McBride for Cronus Centennial, the two big guys 
for the Huskies. I put Williams on the first team and McBride on the third, and it was really tough to figure that out because McBride scores more points per game, grabs more rebounds per game than Williams. It's close, but this, those stats, those important stats, went to McBride, but I had Williams on the first team and McBride on the third. So let me just explain myself. I really thought that they had a similar skill level. The numbers were similar, even though McBride had him a little bit better. Importance to team is very similar. They both won. The tiebreaker for me in this instance came down to long-term potential, and McBride could certainly get here, but right now Devin Williams has the Texas Tech offer, a few other offers. He seems like the better long-term prospect right now, although I love McBride, and I don't understand why he isn't getting more Division One looks at the moment, but that was the tiebreaker for me. And again, I, that wasn't in my... Uh, you know, rationale, my my recipe, if you will, at the beginning, long-term and, and, and just projecting. But when you have to make these tough decisions, you, you got to give it to someone over someone, and, and there has to be some reason if everything else cancels out. So for me, it just came down to, I think right now, Devin Williams is the better long-term prospect. His recruitment is showing that, and that's why I had him first and McBride third. But McBride could certainly get to that level, and they were very similar this year, played exceptional basketball for the state's top team. Okay, anything like that for you, Lance, where you struggled placing someone or you had a tough time second or third team or then they go first team, anything of that nature? Yeah, I have one, and uh, I'll touch on it in a sec. You, run, you reminded me of one thing I wanted to touch on earlier when I was saying the, the between-the-lines things that make some of these decisions. How about, and I guess I touched on this with Jada Williams a bit, but how about how much players are game planned against? How much do they affect game plans and schemes? Uh, and on either end, that's a thing that's not going to uh, show up in the box score a whole lot. Uh, with Devin Williams, our uh, player, our defenders closing out on him while also treating him as a vertical lob presence, like a vertical spacer, the way that we know Aaron McBride is a vertical spacer. Uh, do guys challenge, do, uh, do offensive players challenge a Devin Williams trying to block their shot at the rim less than they might for an Aaron McBride? Those are those are the kind of things, uh, I don't know, you just reminded me of that when you were talking about the two of them, the, 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 the things that might uh, go into our criteria that won't go into everyone else's. Yeah, and, um, and, and Lance, if I could just get in, the, the, yes. the one stat that was really impressive for Devin Williams. McBride was over 30% from three. Devin Williams shot 44% from three this year as a center. And that really impressed me as well. Um, so again, McBride, I think McBride, Lance, I kid you not, in the stats that were sent to me, he was 67% from the field, Aaron McBride this year, which is freaking crazy. But 44% from three, that weighed a little bit more in, in my mind, just because again, you, long-term prospect you want to be able to shoot if you're a big guy in the current state of basketball and man can can Devin Williams shoot so really close but went with Williams over McBride both ended up making it uh but wanted to get that in as well yeah um to totally makes sense uh and and just crazy 44 percent or whatever you said from three for for six ten uh so you asked who was on a team that I struggled with thinking I might want them to go higher Certainly, I think there's a lot of ways that people could have spun this, these same players and it would have been uh, just as right. Uh, but I struggled with Jessica Grant of Mission Hills uh, because her counting stats were good, but not great. But she led them to the finals in the open division above Cathedral Catholic, 
uh, and, and they beat them once in the regular season. Uh, the fact that Mission Hills overachieved just a bit. Now, you see the 17 points a game, three assists, 1.6 blocks, uh, and uh, she, she does a lot of things. But now factor in that she is arguably the best shooter in CIF girls basketball history. Uh, she hit 160, 163 or 165 threes this season, shooting over 41.5% to become the new leader uh, in CIF history. She led the country and reported made threes uh, by like 25 or 30 of them. I think when you look at Emission Hills, why are they so good? They're not huge. They don't have anyone putting up crazy numbers. Uh, I, I think I, I guess gravity, that's the word. And for a Steph Curry fan, you might not want, want everyone knows I'm a Steph fan, so you might not want to hear it. But when you have the best or one of the best shooters in, in CIF history, uh, running around behind the three-point line, coming off dribble handoffs, uh, simply spotting up even if she's not moving, that it, it, it's just so hard to quantify. You were talking about how we have analytics for college ball and pro ball, and we can't quantify someone like a Jessica Jessica Grant's gravity, uh, even when she's not touching the ball. Um, so it was hard. Uh, I, I did put her third team when I, I was really tempted to put her second team, uh, but I, I just wasn't ready to be like, yo, I'm going to use gravity as a pivot point argument in a high school award thing. I just wasn't ready, um, especially when you look at who I had above her, Kaylee Bion, Tegan Brown, Morgan Shelley, Destiny Agabata, every single one of them had a great great case and a better stat line. Um, but uh, that that was an interesting thing uh, because this is 2022 and stuff like that is starting to become a huge part of basketball, whether traditionalists want to talk about it or not. And uh, at the same time, I think third team all state is a great honor. So, uh, but that, that, that was an interesting one to me. That was, uh, I guess, a topic for another day, but stuff like that, it, it's kind of a paradigm bender. All this analytics talk gives me a newfound respect for Cal Preps, who uses analytics to rank the high school football teams. It is not very easy, and love or hate Cal Preps, you have to admit what they do is impressive, and I, I think they do a really, really good job. So there are some analytics excuse me, in high school sports, but for player stuff, still haven't gotten there. I wonder if that'll ever happen. I'm sure there will be some data company down the line that'll figure something out, but hopefully that or not hopefully, probably that's like decades, maybe even more away. So don't have to worry about that for right now. <laughs> All right, Lance, great job. That's a wrap on basketball. Can't believe basketball's over. It really went by like a snap of the finger. That I remember November going to that Notre Dame Corona Centennial game, and now it's March 30th, so crazy. Thank you so much. Doing an excellent job with Girls Hoops. Really appreciate it. I know all of our readers do as well. So he's Lance Smith. I'm Connor Morissette. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in.